first loved us. That's what the Bible says. Amen. We serve a good, good God. Thank you, choir, for ministering to our hearts this morning. Take your Bibles, if you wouldn't, turn to the New Testament book of Romans in chapter number 2. Romans in chapter number 2. We'll read one verse of Scripture from Romans chapter number 2, verse number 4. We'll let that be our springboard this morning, talking about the goodness of God, the love of God, the goodness of God. Thank you, uh, Jonathan, for the uh, children's uh, sermon this morning. We always get more out of it than the children do, perhaps. Thank you for sharing that uh, truth with us this morning. And I don't think that those little rubber fish are going to be good to eat. So do make sure that if your child got one of those, that they give it to their daddy so he can go fishing. That's what the men folk get for Valentine's Day, ladies. Let them go fishing. Let them go fishing. And you said you thought that uh, Valentine's Day was on Thursday. And it is. And let's not forget it, guys. Amen. (laughs) You don't want to be in the doghouse for the next 365 days. So do remember that Valentine's Day is on Thursday of this week. And uh, that's the love of God that's spread abroad in our hearts and spread abroad throughout His church. The love of God makes us lovable. God, the love of God helps us to love others, even sometimes when they don't want to be loved. Uh, the love of God is grand, and as the song says, if the ocean were filled with ink and if the sky was a scroll and if every man was a scribe by trade to write the love of God, uh, it would take, uh, drain the ocean dry and it'd be filled from sky to sky, talking about the love of God. And uh, God is a good God because He's a holy God. The last part of the song that the choir uh, was singing, that refrain that uh, God is holy, that God is holy, that God is holy. I hope you do understand this morning that the holiness of God is His primary attribute. That God is everything that He is because He is holy. God is love because He is holy. But everything is centered upon the love of God, His holiness makes him a loving God. His holiness makes him a God of wrath as well. The holiness of God makes him a, a God of grace. The holiness of God makes him a, a God of mercy. Everything is tied to his holiness. He is all that he is because he is holy. And he is completely removed from who you and I are. We are sinners and we're sinners by nature and sinners by choice. But God is righteous and God is holy and He is who He is because He is a holy, uh, immutable God. Never changes. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And because God is a holy God, He's a good God. And Paul said to the church at Rome, a place he'd never been, but the place he wanted to go. In Romans chapter 2, in verse number 4, he said, Or despisest thou the riches of God's goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? The goodness of God ought to be enough to bring us to our knees in humility, to bring us to a place of uh, Humbleness to the point that we love God and worship God with all of our heart should bring us to a place where we're willing to turn from ourself and to turn from our sin. Do you not know that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Paul said to the church at Rome, and I thus uh, say to you this morning, let us pray together. Father.
We're grateful this morning for the love of God. We're grateful for the way that you loved us. And now you have enabled us to love you and to love one another. We pray, dear Father, today that this season of love really will be based upon our knowledge of your love for us and help us, love to, Lord, to love one another. I pray that you would help us to desire to be a lovable, that you would help us, Lord, to see ourselves as we really are, to be willing to turn from uh, ways that are not pleasing in your sight, to make us uh, more lovable to those who are around us. And help us, Lord, even as you have said, to love one another, even as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for it. And so we pray that our love will be a sacrificing love and uh, and not a self-centered love, but a selfless love based upon your love for us. We thank you, Lord, because you are so good to us and we we celebrate that today in this time of worship. Help us to realize that we uh, should bow before you simply because of who you are and uh, realizing who that we are. And we'll never measure, measure up, Lord, to your holiness and your goodness, but it for the Lord Jesus Christ who gives us the life of righteousness and that position of standing before you one of these days. We pray that you would help us to rightly practice the righteousness and the goodness and the love that you have bestowed upon us and spread abroad in our hearts. And uh, even as the Scripture says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So help us to practice that and worship you in light of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Know you not that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. The goodness of God is a reflection of the love of God. And in the Bible this morning, in three New Testament passages, I want us to take a glimpse at the goodness of God and how He supplies our need and how He comes to us in difficult situations, in desperate situations, in situations that seem to be absolutely impossible. There are things that we face in this life that... We dare not face in the energy of our own flesh and our own strength because they are beyond who we are and what we can manage on our own. One of our own this morning is on her way, she and her husband, to the Cancer Center of America in Atlanta, Georgia, because things seem to be impossible. We pray again today for Teresa and Russell Davis as she's gone through uh, the chemo treatments uh, here uh, nearby in Edenton and now is facing uh, the word that she will get when she's examined by them. They will attempt to treat her holistically, not just uh, her physical condition, but her emotional condition and her spiritual condition as well. And so they left and flew out to uh, Atlanta, at least I'm... Pretty sure that they did. I uh, was not able to reach them, so I just left a message by phone this morning. But there are p- the places and situations in life that seem to be absolutely impossible. And this morning we ought to celebrate the goodness of God but he, because He meets us at the point of our need in the darkest hour that we face. He has promised that He will never leave us and never forsake us. It does not mean that situations will always work out the way that we want them to. But if we're willing to pray as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
Not my will, but thine be done. If we can ever come to that place where we can say that we have sought the heart and the face of God and that we're willing to say, God, whatever you want from our life, that's what I want from my life, then we can experience the goodness of God even in a full and eternal way. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter number 14, if you would please, as I remind you again of what Romans 2, 4 said, and know you not that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. So in Matthew chapter number 14, we see one of those instances. And I was speaking with Jonathan this morning before uh, the service, and I saw that he had a five-gallon bucket with him uh, in the sanctuary. And that doesn't happen every Sunday. So I was asking him what he had in the bucket, and he was telling me what the children's message was going to be all about. And I guess that perhaps that today uh, a fish is supposed to be a part of our experience today. In Matthew chapter number 14, there's another story about Jesus and about fish. It's a story that you'll remember. And I want to see it this morning in the light of the goodness of God and say to you this morning that when the supply seems to be inadequate. Jesus says, bring them here to me. Listen to what the Bible says in Matthew 14, verse number 15. Matthew 14, 15. You have your place? Say amen. Matthew 14, 15. And when it was evening, Jesus' disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place and the time is now late. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals, or buy for themselves food. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give them to eat. And they said unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. Jesus said, Bring them here to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and he broke And he gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the multitude, and they did all eat, and were filled, and they took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. And they that had eaten were about five thousand men, besides the women and the children. I might also add this morning that uh, this uh, is a scenario that that shows up in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke and in the Gospel of John. When you look at the Gospel of Mark, there are two different instances where Jesus multiplies, breaks and multiplies, fish and feeds. Every now and then, a liberal theologian, they think that they have found an error in the Word of God. Now, I want you to look at my beady brown eyes. Anything that uh, Jesus can do one time, Jesus can do again. And there's another scenario where they pick up seven baskets full of the fragments that were left over. And uh, the scenario is different. And Mark records both of those in two separate instances. So don't think that you found uh, an error in the Word of God, as some liberal theologians or even moderate theologians think that they have, because it not only happened one time, but it happened twice. And when it happened twice, it happened in two different places. And Jesus performed that same miracle in two different places at two different times. So that's your homework assignment this afternoon. I've already told you what book it's in. And now you can go and find both of those and compare them for yourselves. When the supply seems to be inadequate, Jesus said, bring them to me. I'm just telling you that he 
has told us in His Word that He will supply all of our needs according to His riches in glory. I remember what King David said. He said, I have been young and now I am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. The truth of the matter is, is that God supplies for his own. And when the supply seems to be inadequate, that's your perspective and not God's. God knows that everything that you need and I need will be supplied according to his riches in glory. Here you have a, a scenario where these disciples, they, they projected a reasonable scenario. Jesus has been preaching, now it's gotten late, and uh, you know, the big crowd of people there, 5,000 men plus the women and the children. And all, by now, you know, I mean, all the McDonald's are closed, and all the Zaxby's have run out of chicken, and even Burger King, uh, Brother Tark, even, even the Burger King is not open for anything at all. And so, you know, Jesus finally was stopped by the disciples and said, Jesus, are you gonna preach all night? These people are hungry. They've been here all day long. We've got to send them away so they can get something to eat. And uh, Jesus, uh, you know, heard what the disciples said. And to you and to me this morning, that seemed like a fairly reasonable scenario. Let's dismiss and let everyone go and find some food for themselves. And uh, Jesus proposed a radical solution. What they thought was reasonable in their minds, you know, and it sounds pretty good to you and me, but Jesus didn't say, well, okay, let's dismiss and everybody go their own way. Jesus provided a radical solution. He said, they don't need to depart. You give them something to eat. Can't you see those 12 disciples begin to look around at each other and think, now, we've been following this guy for a pretty good while, and now I think he's flipped his lid. He's, he's lost it, sure as the world. I mean, 5,000 men plus the women and the children. 12, 14, 15, maybe 20,000 people there. Who knows how many? We know 5,000 plus the women and the children. And they're all hungry. And Jesus said to his disciples, you give them something to eat. They, they don't need to depart. Another one of the Gospels tells us that two of the disciples go out into the crowd. They're searching to see who's got what. You remember that story, don't you? And they find a little lad, a little boy, you know. And, and uh, when they find him, he has five loaves and two fishes. There's those fishes again. Five loaves and two fishes. He's not talking about a loaf, by the way, of some being bread. It's just talking about a little roll, about the size of your fist, or a little smaller than that. And by the way, hard as a rock. I tried to eat some of that bread when I was in Israel. Man, you've got to have good teeth to eat that bread, I'm just telling you. And, uh, but anyway, five little loaves and two little fishes. And, uh, that's what they found. And, uh, Jesus said, uh, bring them to me. Give them to me. Verse number 18. They said, well, uh, verse 17 he said, we don't have but five loaves and two little fishes. And he said, bring them here to me. And so what you have is, uh, um, the disciples, Projecting what they thought was a reasonable scenario, a reasonable solution. Jesus gave them a radical solution instead. And then the Lord provided a replete supply. He commanded them, verse number 19. Uh, he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. Took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven. 
blessed it, broke it, and gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the multitude. Notice, first of all, that it was done in order. We serve a God of order. I like to worship Him in order. I know every now and then that the Holy Spirit takes hold, and and uh, but and uh, you know, and people say things and do things that are out of the ordinary. But for the most part, our Lord is a Lord of order. I remember back when uh, Moses was going to uh, minister to the crowd. He said, "Make them sit down in fifties," you know, and uh, and. Lord is the Lord of order. He commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. Can you imagine what it would have been like to try to feed 5,000 men plus the women and the children and everybody uh, up and moving around, you know, and they can't figure out who's had food and who hasn't had food? Sit down and be still. It was done in in an orderly way in verse number 19. There's also the element of surrender here that's involved. You see, really, uh, when the supplies seem to be inadequate, Jesus says, bring them here to me. And what he's asking is for what you and I have in our hand, though it seems to be very little, what the Lord wants you and me to do is take what we do have and surrender it to Him. And I'm just telling you that a handful of anything that is surrendered to the Lord can meet any need according to His perfect will for your life and mine. It's amazing how many people have a gift, and they think it's a small gift, and so they hoard it up. Uh, in biblical terms, to make a parallel, they wrap it up in a napkin, and they hide it uh, somewhere. They refuse to use what the Lord has given them. But what the Lord wants out of you and me is the, the simple faith of a little lad who will surrender all that he had, five loaves and two fishes, and to see what Jesus could do with that. And boy, did he ever get a lesson in what it means to have faith in the Lord. Uh, Jesus, he looked up to heaven, the Bible says. Now, let me tell you something. If, if Jesus thinks that you ought to thank God for the food, what makes you think you ought to just dive into your meal without pausing and thanking God the Father for what you have? Jesus looked up to heaven, and he praised the Lord, he blessed the Lord, he blessed that food, he broke that food, and then he gave that food. And he gave it, and he gave it, and he gave it, and he gave it to the disciples. And they went out, and they fed the multitude. How long did it take? I don't know. I have no earthly idea, but you can't do it in five minutes. I know that. And part of the lesson was is that watch this. Five loaves and two fishes, and this this little group is fed, and this little group is fed, and then this little group is fed, and everybody's watching what Jesus is doing, and they're marveling one to another. What manner of man is this? And he keeps breaking the bread, breaking the fishes, and giving it to the disciples, and the disciples go and they distribute to every person, 5,000 men plus the women and the children. The Bible says that they were all Fed, they were all filled, and they took up 12 baskets of the fragments which were left over. <laughs> what do you reckon the lesson is in that? You've got 12 disciples, 12 baskets, and 12 baskets full of fragments. You see, when the supply seems to be inadequate and when you surrender to the Lord, it not only meets your needs and the needs of those who are around you, but there's some left over as well. I don't know what they did. They probably went down to the nursing home with it. Don't you think so? They found somebody had 12 baskets full of fragments that were left. 
Now, I don't think they needed any instruction. They just started finding people who needed food. Perhaps some even some people that were not in the worship service. Maybe he gave them the gift of love and the gift of sharing. And maybe he changed their heart right there on the spot. As God had met their need, they realized that God wanted to use them to meet the needs of others who were around them. I'm just telling you this morning that when you and I take what little we have in our hand and we say, really, God, it's not mine, it's yours. I know there's enough for me, but there's probably enough for someone else too. And so when the supply seems to be inadequate, Jesus says, just bring it to me. Just surrender to me and meet the needs of those who are around you. When the supply seems to be inadequate, Jesus says, bring them to me. Do you not know? That the goodness of God should lead you and me to repentance. He supplies our needs according to His riches and glory. And turn to the 17th chapter of Matthew. You're right there in the neighborhood. And when you turn to the 17th chapter, then take note of verse number 14. When the supply seems to be inadequate, Jesus says, Bring them to me. And... When the situation seems to be impossible, Jesus says, bring him to me. Matthew seventeen fourteen. And when they will come to the multitude, there came down to him, to Jesus, a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he is, in the proper word in our, uh, it says lunatic in the King James Version, but a modern translation of that, he is epileptic and greatly vexed. And often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus privately and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Move from here to yonder place, and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. When the situation seems to be impossible, Jesus says, Bring him here to me. The words of this scenario and the life and ministry of Jesus takes me back to my childhood when I was raised working on a tobacco farm. My daddy was a tenant farmer. We farmed about 15 acres of tobacco. And as far as I'm concerned, it was about 1,500 acres of tobacco. It seemed like you never did get finished with the priming tobacco and handing tobacco and hanging tobacco and taking out tobacco. It was tobacco, tobacco, tobacco. Even one time I tried to smoke tobacco, and I learned better than that when my daddy got a hold of me. But it was all about tobacco in those days. And I remember when my dad first let me drive that little John Deere M. And I was a little old bitty thing sitting up on that seat. had to take both feet and push down on the clutch on the left-hand side. I was nine years old when he let me drive that tractor. My daddy would go down to Church Street and find the laborers that he needed to work the fields when I was 
too young to do much hard work. And so he would go down on Church Street. Some of you might remember where the tip-top bakery was. On that corner, men who were willing to work, uh, they would stand on that corner. And people who needed laborers would just drive down Church Street, turn right beside of the tip-top bakery, and begin to barter with people that are standing there willing to work. And my daddy would do that. He'd drive his old Studebaker. He called it a stump jumper. And he would drive that old stump jumper down and get three or four men on the back of that truck. You don't know much about them. You just barter with them for a day's wage. Or they say they'll work for you a week. Or they might even say they're going to work with you the whole harvest season. And you go back and they go out into the field. And there I am on the little John Deere tractor going down the fifth middle, pulling the trailer behind me. And everything was just fine. I was just putt, 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 putting along. And all of a sudden, I heard a ruckus behind me. And when I turned around, there was a man who was down on the ground. And he was shaking in an epileptic fit. He was foaming from the mouth. I was was a young little guy. I had no idea what was going on. I most certainly did not know what to do. But thankfully, one of those other workers knew exactly what was happening. Maybe he was someone that uh, was hired out of the same family. But he knew the situation, whatever it was. And I remember him taking his hands and prizing that man's mouth open and laid a stick in his mouth so he would bite down on that stick rather than biting his own tongue off. Because let me tell you, in that day of Jesus, and even today, when people who are not medicated have an epileptic fit, they have no idea what's going on around them. They're absolutely helpless. They're absolutely and completely out of control. And that situation was handled by someone who knew what to do. And in this scenario, Jesus was the one. He said, uh, bring him here to me. Jesus realized that this little boy was possessed by a demon. And he commanded the demon to come out of him. And from that moment that the demon came out, he was healed immediately and in his, in his right mind. Uh, it wasn't that way in the day of Jesus as it is today. You may be sitting right beside someone today who has epilepsy. It's so well controlled with medications today that even you may have family members that are on that medication and it's controlled and you don't even know that they're epileptic. But in the day of Jesus, there was no help and there was no hope. And a lot of times the Bible says that they would cast themselves into the water and drown. Or they would cast themselves into the fire and would literally burn to death because they're simply out of their mind and out of control and hopeless. And do you understand this morning that as men and women, boys and girls, apart from Jesus Christ, you're absolutely helpless. You're absolutely hopeless. Your goodness and my goodness is like filthy rags in the sight of Almighty God. But thank God we serve a God who's a loving God and a good God and a saving God. And He brings salvation to those who call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But before you're you're, uh, under the blood of Jesus Christ, You're just as helpless and just as hopeless as this little boy was before Jesus said to his disciples, he said, 
Don't, won't you ever learn? Oh, faithless and perverse generation. He said, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? He was not talking to the general crowd. He's talking to those disciples. How long will you follow me and not know what it means to have faith in God? And then he said, bring him here to me. And he rebuked the demon. You have a father here that was very desperate. I'm glad that we serve a God who's desperate. He's desperate to have fellowship with you and fellowship with me. So desperate that he gave his most precious gift, the gift of his own son, that our sins might be forgiven and that we would not disrupt the holiness of God, but receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ and be able and willing to stand in his presence and to worship him because we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ that covers our sin and makes us able to stand in his presence. And so we have a father here who's desperate. That's the love of God. The love of God is so deep and so broad, so much so that he would give his only son, not just for you and for me, but for all the people of the world. I can't help but keep coming back to 1 John 2, 2, that we keep talking about on Wednesday night. And he that is Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. That's the love of God. That's the goodness of God. And the goodness of God should lead us to repentance. And then finally this morning in the gospel according to Luke in chapter number 19. going to take you a little longer because you've got to change the book. Luke chapter number 19, we see one more scenario, the goodness of God, the love of God, as it's shed abroad in our hearts in Luke chapter number 19. This is the passage of Scripture that uh, we normally use around uh, Easter time, so I guess maybe we're a little early for that, but maybe it'll be a precursor for things to come. In the 19th chapter of Luke, Beginning our reading with uh, verse number 28. This is the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ going to present himself as the king of the Jews, as the savior of the world, presenting himself one more time. And in our scenario this morning, we've talked about it. When the supply is inadequate, Jesus says, bring them here to me. And when the situation is impossible, Jesus steps up and says, bring him here to me. And then when the service, are you still listening? When the service seems to be insignificant, Jesus says, bring him here to me. In verse 28 of the 19th chapter of Luke, and when Jesus had thus spoken, he went ahead ascending up to Jerusalem. It came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and to Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, in which at your entering you shall find a colt tied, on which yet never a man sat. Loose him and bring him here to me. If any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, Because the Lord has need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as Jesus had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, its owner said unto him, Why loose you the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him, that is the colt, to Jesus. 
and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus upon it. And as they went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come near even to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Hosanna, in other words. Hosanna to the Lord, our King. When the service seems to be insignificant, Jesus just simply says to you and to me, bring him here to me. Can you imagine what must have gone through the mind of these disciples? They've been walking with Jesus Talking with Jesus, taught by Jesus, ministering with Him all throughout Judea and Galilee, and particularly around Capernaum, which was the center of His earthly ministry. Been with Him all these years. Now, for three and a half years, they've been taught the demonstrations of God's greatness and His ability, His omnipotence. The fact that Jesus is God, He can do anything, including speaking to the dead, and they rise up and come out of the grave. Seeing all of that, and the miracles that He had performed, with a man let down through the roof, and He said, take up your bed and walk. To blind people, He opened their eyes so that they could see, and they have watched this for three and a half years. And they want to love the Lord and serve the Lord with all of their heart. And now, two of the disciples, Jesus speaks to them and said, Listen, here boys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up the road and find a colt. He's going to be tired, and you're going to recognize he's never been ridden upon. And I want you to go get a donkey. And bring him here to me. It's amazing, isn't it, how people who have been saved for a long, long time sometimes are still looking for that big thing that God wants them to do. I run into this all the time when I'm preaching for young preachers. They want to move to a bigger church. They want to move to a greater populated city. They want to move to a place that's a, a up-and-coming place where there's a lot of opportunity They want to serve God way over there somewhere. But I'm just telling you this morning that God wants you to serve Him right where you are. And when God wants you to serve somewhere else, then He'll move you to another place and He'll use you the way. Listen, never despise what seems to be in the light and the sight of others an insignificant task. Because anything that Jesus asks you to do is a very significant thing. Anything that the Lord commands us to do is a noteworthy thing. It's worthy of our attention. It's worthy of our surrender. It's worthy of our service. Whether it's in a very popular place or where it's a place that's so insignificant that nobody knows who you are or what you're doing. It seems that way sometimes, doesn't it, when you're serving the Lord that nobody really knows what you're doing. And, and But let me tell you, if nobody else knows... There's one who knows. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 10 and verses 42 through 44 that not a cup of cold water given in the name of Jesus in that day will be forgotten. At the judgment seat of Christ, I mean He's going to reveal it all. Not only what we've done, but why we've done what we've done, how we got the job done, and what we did with what we had. And a lot of us think we have so little 
when in truth we have so much to offer to the kingdom of God. I don't know how it is that people who have so many gifts and so much ability hoard it up to themselves and serve themselves and maybe even serve their own family in that way, but disregard the needs of the local church. Uh, I'm just telling you this morning that there are so many things that need to be done that if you can't think of anything, come to me and ask me. If you can't think of anything that you can do for the Lord, go to the chairman of deacons, uh, Ed Thompson. Tell him, listen, I, th- I think I have a gift that I can serve the Lord. Is there any place that I can serve the Lord? Many people are waiting for, uh, you know, if they teach a class, they want to teach the main class. If, they, if they're working, they want to be the person who's ahead of it all. We've got enough chiefs. What we need are some more Indians. We need some braves that will serve the Lord in some ways that to others may seem to be insignificant. And to go up the road and to get a donkey and bring a donkey back, it seems like a very menial task. But let me tell you something. When they got, when they got that donkey, they found it just like Jesus said. If the owner says, what are you doing? What are you doing? He said, you just say to them that the Lord has need of them. It's amazing how the Lord gives us the words that we need whenever the occasion arises, isn't it? And exactly like Jesus said, they went, they started untying the donkey, and the owner came out and said, what do you think you're doing? He said, the Lord has need of him. He said, okay, take him on. And as they're going back, the Bible says that they took off their cloak. They're out of garments, and you have to use your imagination, your spiritual imagination. But some of you look like you've got a lot of spiritual imagination. Can you see them taking that outer garment off and begin to fold it and put it right on the back of that donkey and made a soft saddle for the Savior of the world to ride into town and to present himself as the King of the Jews, as the Savior of the world. As they, as they began to go, they take the palm branches and they're waving the palm branches and welcoming him. But on that saddle, he's sitting on that soft saddle that they provided for them. And then they, you see, everybody else begins to take hold of that. It catches fire. When people have a, a, a sense of service and a sense of love and a sense of caring, then that begins to be contagious and it spreads to people who are all around you. And so as they see Jesus coming into town riding on that donkey on the soft saddle, the Bible says that others begin to take off their outer garments and they begin to lay them in the way for Jesus to come into town. It's amazing how contagious love and compassion and Christ-likeness will spread in the congregation when somebody loves the Lord with all of their heart and begins to serve Him in insignificant ways, then people begin to take notice. I could do this and I could do that. Isn't God so good to you and to me to allow us to serve Him in any way, even if it's just to go up the road and... You know, you may never be a missionary. You may never preach. You may never lead the choir. You may never do something that, you know, it's before the people and they get a lot of recognition. But let me tell you, Jesus said, I'm not going to forget anything that you've done in my kingdom's work. You will be rewarded for that in the most insignificant way. I'll tell you, the goodness of God ought to lead us to repentance. When the supply seems to be inadequate, Jesus says, bring it to me. I'll bless it. I'll break it. I'll multiply it. And it'll be enough. 
Whenever the situation seems to be impossible, and some of you are facing a situation like that today, you think there's no hope, there's no way out. And Jesus says, bring him here to me. The truth is, is that oftentimes we have tried everything else and every doctor we know and spent all that we had, like the woman with the issue of blood, and she had spent it all. And she finally comes to the only place that there was any help in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the service seems to be insignificant and you say nobody will know, just out of the heart of love, serve the Lord. Out of the heart of compassion. Whether anybody else knows anything about it or not really is immaterial, isn't it? Because the only one who really matters is omniscient and he knows all things. Years ago, when I first started preaching, I was pastoring church in Arkansas while I was going to school in Memphis, Tennessee. And I made acquaintance with an old uh, missionary that had come home from Guatemala, he and his wife, because of sickness in her life. I had him preach for me a time or two, and eventually he invited me to preach for him. I've never been in a service with him. He's with the Lord now. But I was never in a service with him that he did not end the service in the same way. If he was pastor of the church, of course, they knew uh, what they were going to do. When he came to my church and preached revival for me, they learned after the first night. He said, let's all stand before we go and sing that song. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet in the attitude of prayer. Little is much when God is in it. Father, we pray that in this time of invitation that we'll realize how good you are, that you have shown us a love that is beyond compare. Because you have saved us, you have given us the ability to love and to be loved. And I pray that today, dear Father, Because of the goodness of God, we would be willing to turn from our ways and to turn to you. To turn away from our sin and to turn to the Savior. To turn away from our slothfulness and to turn to a place of willing service in your kingdom's work. And I pray that you would help us to look and to find what our hands might do for the cause of the kingdom. There may be someone in the congregation today, Lord, who cannot serve you, can't even worship you in spirit and in truth, because they do not know you as Lord and Savior. And I pray this morning that you would convince them that you're a good God, that you're a loving God, that you love them so much that you made the ultimate sacrifice in the sending of your Son to pay a debt which we cannot pay ourselves. And to give the gift of righteousness which we cannot earn or live on our own. I pray that they would come to you today in humility, in brokenness, and surrender their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray for we, the church today, God, that we would willingly serve for the glory and the praise of Jesus who is worthy of every utterance of praise on the earth. 
We pray that you would do it for your own glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is number 300 and uh, number 579. 579. Jesus loves me, this I know. 579. The altar's open. You're invited to come. If you have any decision you need to make this morning openly. Oh, my. What a hymn full of truth. Amen. He's going to prepare a place for me, and some glad day his face I'll see. What a day that will be. Thank you for being here this morning. Let's determine that we're going to serve the Lord, yeah, in small and insignificant ways. Whatever your hands find to do, do gladly from a heart of love and appreciation for who the Lord is and what he's done for us. He's worthy to be, if he never had done anything for us, he's worthy to be worshipped simply because of who he is. A holy God, a loving God. Let's bow together for our closing prayer. Father, we ask that this morning as we disperse from this place, that you'll help us to exhibit the love of Christ. Indeed, to live the love of Christ. For your spirit lives within us. So have your rule and your reign in us. Make of us, as our children's message taught us this morning, to be fishers of men. For there are many who need to be saved and brought into the kingdom. Use us for your glory. And we pray it and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.